Welcome to episode 57 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault here on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who did not see his shadow when he woke up this morning, Mm. John Scott Sloat. Hopefully it means winter's coming to a close. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when this episode drops, it will be Groundhog Day. Yeah. Have you seen that movie? I don't believe so, no. I think I've only seen clips. I'm not sure I've ever seen the the entirety of it. I'm a big Bill Murray fan. But but it happens. It's the same thing happening over and over again. That's sort of the premise, right? That's the premise of it. He's stuck in this infinite, seemingly infinite loop of repeating the same day over and over again. Uh, I have. I don't believe I've seen it. Uh, which my dad will probably be upset. My dad. My dad enjoys Bill Murray, um, and so do I. But uh, if this weekend was any indication of whether winter is here to stay, <laughs> yes, it is. It is here, and it is making a home here in the Midwest. Yes, a, and and moving into the Northeast. Um, I, I think this is moving on up. I, I've heard, you know, part portions of the Northeast, New York City. Connecticut, uh, Washington D.C. Sure. as well, on the South End are going to get uh, what we got recently here. But uh, I will say, once it stops snowing and blowing and the sun comes out, it's really pretty. Once things are it is. plowed, it's you know sort of a winter but wonderland feel. Even it's even nice when it's snowing, but it's not windy. Yes, like I can go outside. I can enjoy. The, I think the issue this weekend was it was very very windy. Yes, and very very snowy. Yes. Do you have a snowblower? You do, don't you? I have an electric snowblower. Okay, yeah. so but, it's a little less powerful, but it did the trick this weekend, which is really what I needed it to do. So yeah, yeah, I, I have one as well, and it was. Do um, you? Yeah. Is that a new acquisition? Have I not told you this story? No. So um, I'll tell it quickly, but. Uh, we have a neighbor next door named uh, Denny. Okay, and um, they've li- he and his wife, who just recently passed away, um, had have lived there probably for I don't know maybe three years now, three four years at most. And we noticed when they moved in, they were an older couple, and you know a little slower moving and that sort of thing. So uh, a, couple, a couple winters ago, we just started shoveling their driveway. When we would go out mm-hmm. to shovel ours, we just shovel theirs. It's not a huge driveway. It wasn't a big deal. Well, they noticed, obviously. And so uh, a couple about a couple summers ago, he says to me, you know, I've got a I've got a snowblower at my old place. How about <laughs> uh, I, I bring it over and um, you can just keep it in your garage and you just do my driveway, but you can basically use it whenever you want and just do my driveway when it snows like that. And I wow. said, yes, sir. I think we can make that work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's worked out well. It's a beast. It's almost too big at points. Like it's it's one of those things where it's like it, it's a bit of a beast to, to, to maneuver. It's gas-powered, I assume. Gas-powered. Okay, and okay. It has a uh, – you can plug in an extension cord in it, so it has an electric start, so you don't have to tear your oh, arm out cranking, cool. you know, pulling the pulling the rope to start it. So. Yeah, I, I like my electric snowblower. I can pick it up with one hand. Yeah, the, you you would have to be freakishly strong to pick up. Yeah, <laughs> this one. Oh, I'm sure. One I'm hand. sure. I've I've used those before. <laughs> they're they're tough. Yeah. So in any case, we are uh, enjoying the the winter weather uh, experience here, as we are wont to do here in. Northwest or North, Northern Indiana, I mm-hmm. guess. So, um, you know, this was the first weekend without football that we just came off of here. Yeah. I mean, they had some s- Pro Bowl celebration that, that I'm sure nobody watched, but um, 
Uh, I didn't even not, know it not was me. Go- I did. I didn't watch it. <laughs> I didn't even know it was going on until, like, oh, that's happening. Oh, interesting. But um, so yeah, I think uh, you know, with football, obviously the Super Bowl matchup is is set. Um, do you have big plans for a Super Bowl party, uh, a social event? Yeah, yeah. So my life group is coming over. Um, okay. It's a, it's a, it'll be a smaller group because I, I think some other people have plans, but I think there's going to be four to six of us or six to seven of us um, over there. Everybody's bringing a different dish. I'm smoking some chicken wings on the smoker. Of course. Um, leading up. And I went, I went Saturday and purchased all of them uh, okay. and froze them so that they – because – I've also been burned by going to the store to get Super Bowl goods and they're all sold out. Yes. So I didn't want that. Yes. So doing that, um, yeah, hooking up the TV and and looking forward to hopefully a good game. I think it should be a good entertaining game. Um, and I'm confident there will be some buffalo chicken dip because I have a sense I know one of the yeah, tenders. Yeah, there, there, uh, there will be some dip. buffalo chicken dip. It's already yeah. been announced. Yeah. <gasps> She makes a mean buffalo chicken dip. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. She does a great job with that. In any case, um, so who you got? Who, who do you think is going to come out on top? Um, I think it's Kansas City is going to come out on top. That's as I think they're going to win. As much as it, I don't like picking against Tom Brady, I don't like Tom Brady, but I don't like picking against him. I think that I think this is a passing of the torch sort of moment between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. I hope you are correct. And if forced to make a a, a pick, I will go with the Chiefs. Um, but it it's hard to pick against Tom Brady in a game like that. Hmm. So uh, we'll see. In his hometown, in his home stadium, not yeah, his hometown. Home, home stadium, yeah. But yeah, I mean, how much do you think that matters though? Because it's not like they get like a home crowd. I mean, sure. it's not like – you know, it's a traditional home game in that sense. They do get to stay. Uh, the players are staying in their homes in Tampa until the night before the game, and then the night before the game, they'll stay in a hotel with the team. Yeah, I suppose that's some slight advantage of some right? kind. You know, just enjoyment. Sure. Uh, in some ways, there's been more news uh, off the field. I suppose there was a blockbuster trade this past week mm-hmm. where the uh, Detroit Lions. Who they made it clear that they were parting ways with Matthew Stafford, their quarterback, made a trade with the Los Angeles Rams to get Jared Goff. And uh, I believe they also got a couple of – did they get some draft picks in that too? Uh, They did, yeah. And it just seems to be a win-win for both teams. You know, Uh, they think – the Rams obviously feel like Stafford's a better quarterback. Um, and maybe more setting up to, to win. And Detroit's getting a quarterback that potentially they could have there for the next eight to ten years. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just don't know how much how much does Matthew Stafford have left? That's a great question. Is he going to um, play three more years? His contract goes through 2022. Okay, so that's like two seasons. Two then. seasons, yeah. No, one. Well, the 21 season this next year – and then the twenty-two okay. season, the following year. Gotcha. So two okay. two more seasons. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I mean, he's he's getting up there, and he's taking a beating playing in Detroit. <laughs> he has taken a beating. Well, he's going to have more talent around him in Los Angeles than he's ever had in Detroit. That's true. That's true. It'll be interesting to see how he adapts to that because 
one of the knocks on him has been he just makes some critical turnovers in big spots yeah. in games. And some of that, I think, is a function of he didn't have much talent around him. So he's forcing the ball too much or he's trying to do too much where can he adjust to – I don't have to make the, 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 the heroic play. I just have to make the simple play. By the way, did you see that they made the announcement? I think it was Saturday um, that this trade had happened and Matthew Stafford and – uh, Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams, were vacationing together with their wives in Cabo. <laughs> I didn't see to that. celebrate the trade. <laughs> okay, in Cabo. Okay, well, I'm, what am I doing wrong? You know, <laughs> why am why am I not in Cabo? Uh, because you do not have NFL arm talent. <sighs> Goodness, <laughs> you have many fine qualities, John. But <laughs> NFL arm talent is not one of them. <laughs> um, the other thing I'd mention about that trade is Stafford is playing in the same town as his childhood best friend, Clayton Kershaw. No, oh, there you go. Okay. So, um, and then there's really been no movement on the Deshaun Watson front, other than apparently he took down all references to the Houston Texans off of his social media platforms. Well, and they hired a coach. Um, who's never been a coach before, and it was a guy like, I think it is sixties, which I'm sure he's a fine human, but uh, I don't think it inspired confidence in Deshaun Watson for the yeah. organization. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Um, I I'm just not sure what what's going to happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, the NBA is picking up some steam, and so we better check in with your New York Knickerbockers. They're Watchable. Um, they're they're nine and twelve. Um, so young team, number one in defense. Last I checked, uh, but nine and twelve's you know it's it's respectable. It's respectable, I'd say. Yeah, I think they've especially had, in the East. Yeah, they've had some seasons where they've won nine games recently. You know, uh, to to be nine and twelve at this point is is not a terrible spot. Now they've got uh, a lot of new players, or at mm-hmm. least. Maybe not necessarily brand new this year, but like they're a young team. They've got a lot of uh, of new guys. Yeah, and they got they got this quickly fella. Emmanuel quickly is out of Kentucky, uh, and he's just been playing lights out. He's been he's been really good. I hope it continues. Um, he was a late first round draft pick. I think thirty something he was picked, and uh, yeah, he's just been playing really well, coming off the bench and uh, burying threes. And who else did they – they they, have a, they had a higher draft pick than that. Yeah, they got Toppin. Toppin, yeah. Yeah, and he had a calf injury earlier in the season and he's been slowly coming back. Um, I don't think it's been an amazing start to his career but you know we're 20 games in right now. So Yeah, which is a quarter of the way through the season though because they're playing 72 games this, this season, not 82 because of COVID stuff. Okay. So hmm. yeah, it seems like – oh, it seems early but – you know, they are 25% of the way through the regular season at this point. Yeah, and uh, the Knicks are sitting in the nine spot right now. If okay. the, so they're they're right on the bubble of being able to make the playoffs. Yes, though one one sort of flukish thing about those standings is I think they're ahead. Are they not ahead of the Miami Heat right now, I think? Like Miami is, has, has a terrible record. I, I yeah, Miami's 7-12. and 12. But they don't – they haven't had Jimmy Butler and they haven't had Tyler Hero. So okay. They, so when they they're come missing back, two of their best players. So um, it's reasonable to think that they'll get that together and figure it out, and uh, you know, make a move up into the playoff positioning there. But uh, yeah, I can see the Knicks being a team that flirts with that last yeah. playoff spot for in the East. 
And that's an incredible improvement compared to where we've been. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, the only other sports note I mentioned is MLB is thinking about pushing back its season a month, which feels ridiculous at, at this point with other other sports getting their seasons going. Yeah. Did, was there a rationale given for that? I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's COVID, but like, you know, you've got the NBA playing games and traveling and that, I know they've had some glitches, but there's also, you know, baseball's played outside. Yep. And, um, you know, warmer weather and more time. The assumption seems to be relatively safe that as these next few months unfold with higher rates of vaccination and those sorts of things that COVID cases are going to be on the decline. I mean, they already are on the decline as of this recording uh, from the surge a couple weeks ago. Sure. Um, Yeah, I don't don't know a good reason for it other than I've heard that the owners – don't want to pay the players for a full season because they're not getting revenue from last year, revenue from last year or revenue from people being in the stands I really. See. And so they're, they're trying to limit the amount of games played so that they can save money uh, and basically kick the can down the road to next season. And the players want to be paid for a full 162 games. So I think the players offered, we play 155 games, but get paid for 162 <laughs> To the owners and push the season back. And so it was like the opening of negotiations. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's just not going to play well in the media. It never works well when millionaires are fighting with billionaires yeah. over money. It just never plays well in the media. Mm-hmm. The common fan is like, uh, get over yourselves, figure it out, get out there and play. Mm-hmm. Y'all got more money than I can fathom knowing what to do with. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Are we ready f- to, to transition to our main topic there, Doc? Let's do it. OK. Uh, this topic, uh, frankly, is is still a bit nebulous to me, even though it was my idea, um, which is a great place to start. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, who knows where this is going to go, right? So I, I have some plans and it's kind of been like a, a little hobby that I've been reading about and studying uh, here and there. Um, and I'm excited to interact with you about it. So. Okay. Uh, so we've we've deemed it and labeled it uh, the creation mandate uh, and human progress. Okay. Um, so when we say the creation mandate, Doc, what what generally are we talking about? Yeah. So um, we are talking about uh, the end of Genesis one, where mm-hmm. God creates human beings in His image, and uh, He then commissions them uh, to be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth, rule over, and subdue it, mm-hmm. and that is uh, typically what's referred to as the creation mandate, God's command to humanity to uh, fill the earth, rule over it, exercise stewardship, um, a, a benevolent care and um, and supervision of bringing cre- uh, bringing order uh, out of chaos, or even just you know. Uh, basically in one sense imitating God's own mm-hmm. rule over creation, his own bringing order out of chaos, obviously at a smaller level. but Sure. And, and rearranging the things that are already here in order to make more good and useful uh, uh, things on earth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we want to, I think, explore some of those things today and how this is happening in our world and how we're um, creating more and good, useful things as um, 
as a species uh, and how we're refining some of those things to make them more efficient, effective, and, and those sorts of things. Um, now, this does not mean that human sin does not exist, and some of these things are certainly flawed um, yeah. as we talk about them. Like, um, We're certainly not making the argument that uh, humanity is just going to get better and better and better and better until you know God's kingdom comes in, right? So um, you're not a post-millennialist. I am not. I'm not a post-millennialist. Isn't it a, a rough, rough, rough patch to be a post-millennialist, though? It feels like the last hundred years have been <laughs> a rough time to be a post-millennialist. Uh, which do you want to, for our listeners who maybe don't know what a post-millennialist is? Yeah, yeah. Wanna... I mean, we're, we're probably violating one of the uh, unspoken rules of the podcast in talking about eschatology, but. Um... Yeah, that's true. Although I feel like this is a safe, like, I don't know, thing we can kick while it's yes, down. There you go. So, uh, a post-millennialist is someone who believes that uh, that through the uh, preaching of the gospel and the efforts of the church, working in and through culture, that eventually the church will make such progress in those areas that they will usher in the millennial reign, the the thousand year reign of Christ here on earth. And so um, that that's the basic position there. And then that um, uh, that yeah, basically it, it, it has a, a sort of optimistic feel to it um, in that sense. Uh, and although it's not especially common today, a lot of the Puritans were post-millennial, really? yes. Hmm. Uh, Jonathan Edwards is a um, is a uh, well known post millennialist. Now, some of that comes out of the um, coming into the new world, sure. establishing a new society, a new culture, and so there's that unbridled optimism of we're escaping all of the corruption and the problems of Europe and coming over here and establishing this new society, this new culture, and um, you know we're, we're gonna. Through that, usher in the millennium. And when, when did it go away? When, when did we stop seeing this? Just as a fun exercise, I, I have a, a thought as to to when that was. Um, I'm not sure. I'm ready to to pinpoint uh, a specific. I mean, really, you get that um, going probably at some level of of prominence. My guess would be up to the Civil War. I was going to say World War Two. Well, I think the Civil War, though, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think anytime you I have. I could see the Civil War, though. Anytime as well. you have these massive, um, bloody conflicts like that, that can be a bit of a of a kick to the to the stomach when it comes to uh, optimism. Optimism, absolutely. Um, so, so today is an optimistic podcast. That's yeah, a, we're 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 smiling and happy um, today. Yeah. It's because you came up with the topic. You're the more optimistic one. I tend to be more the pessimist. You know, I I am the dog sitting in the house that is burning <laughs> with the coffee cup going. Everything's fine. This is fine. The house no, is burning. The house is burning. Not the dog. The dog is done. no, no, <laughs> okay. no, no. Um, all right. So so let's talk uh, human progress over the last hundred years. Uh, Doc, how many seconds would the average person have to work? In order to get an hour of light in the year eighteen hundred. Yeah. Well, I I, I wasn't aware we we're going to turn this into a quiz show. Yeah. Um, oh, this is this is how we're going forward. <laughs> oh dear. Um. Yeah. Maybe I should have done a little bit more prep. But uh, how, so, how many hours of work 
How many seconds? How many seconds? Seconds of work to get one hour, let's say, of reading light. Well, let's see. 60 seconds in a minute. 3,600 seconds in an hour. Um, I, I don't know. A few hours uh, of work. So is that? Uh, it's six hours of work okay. or 21,600 seconds. Okay. So, okay. That's uh, – a good amount of time, and that's candlelight, right? That's that's harvesting probably the whale in order to make your candles as well. <laughs> built into that work, right? I mean, there, there's a lot going on there. We're not assuming the person has to go out and actually kill the whale themselves. No, 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 no. no, no. They they had an economy then. You know, things, things were happening. Um, let's let's jump forward to uh, uh, 1948 or 19 1940. Um, how many seconds to get an hour of reading light? How many hours seconds of work to get so an hour? You said nineteen forty-eight. Nineteen forty. Nineteen forty. So let's see. Great de- end of the Great Depression. We're in World War Two. Um, I'm gonna say it still took. Um, did it still take an hour? It took. 135 seconds. Oh, okay. So I was way off there. Okay. So just a couple minutes. Yeah, just over two minutes. Yeah. And that that's in, uh, what, 140 years. Yeah. We're able to come that far. Okay. Let's jump to 2010. Okay. How many seconds to get an hour of reading light in 2010? Um, is it even a second? No, it's 0. 0.62 seconds <laughs> okay. to get an hour of reading light. And so that's – I we go through this exercise to show that um, what took a very, very long time is we have increased technology as we have refined uh, the uh, rearranged creation in order to serve humankind. We have made this incredibly, incredibly cheap uh, and easy to access uh, over time. And yeah. we would all agree – Light to read by is a good thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. It is. I think it's easy to, um, to, to for us as uh, contemporary folks to to not really think about b- before the advent of electricity, even just being limited to lanterns and candlelight. When the sun went down, things stopped. Yeah. You know, think about oh, yeah. think think about during the winter when the sun sets at you know five thirty oh, in the goodness. afternoon, and doesn't show up again till you know eight o'clock the next morning, right? Um, all of that time, you know, you would have been very limited in what you could do, and um, just the fact that you know we take that for granted that mm-hmm. you know, well, it's it's an annoyance, it's an inconvenience. But it doesn't really slow us down in terms of you know if there's something you want to do after the sun sets, you can find a way to do it. Hmm. Um, let's move on. Do you want to cite where you're getting this information from? Are you going to wait till the end? To do I was going to wait to the okay. end, but I can I can drop it in here. However, um, this is from a website called humanprogress.org. Uh, if you click at the top, it says find data, and they just have millions and millions of charts. Um, that you can click on and, and you can find all this information, um, humanprogress.org. We'll link it in the show notes, obviously. A lot of, a lot of really, really uh, excellent stuff. Um, okay, let's go to a cheery topic. Uh, uh, female survival to 65. Okay. By country, let's start at the year 1960. Uh, 
for the next two, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with three countries, the United States, mm-hmm. China, and Afghanistan. Okay. Um, very different countries. Yeah. Uh, so the United States, uh, 1960, what do you think the female survival rate was to, to 65? So, so the percentage of women who live to the age of 65. That's correct. In the United States in 1960. 60. Okay. Um, goodness. I'm going to go with um, 45%. In 1960 in the United States, 78%. That's much higher than I would have expected. Isn't that crazy? Uh, 78%. Um, any guesses on China, 1960? Oh, my initial guess of 45% might have been a little closer in China perhaps <laughs> than uh, <laughs> here in the United States. Um, I'll double down and go with 45% for China. 36. Okay. And then uh, and then Afghanistan, uh, 1960? Uh, even lower than China, I would think. It is. It is 25? lower. 21. Yeah. So one in five women, only one in five women lived to the age of 65. That's right. Let's jump to uh, – what's the last year I have here? 2018. Do you want to guess the United States? Oh, um, 87%, 88%. Wow, 87.5%. Yeah. I mean I, I would think by now with modern technology and healthcare uh, access. Um, yeah. So uh, give me – yeah, let's, let's move on to China here. Yeah, China. You got a guess? Well, they've become a, they've become a modern society. They've uh, changed a lot. So yeah. uh, I'll go 70. 89. Really? They've surpassed the United States in female, uh, female, uh, percentage of females living beyond 65. Okay. In Afghanistan. I'm sure it's come up, but I would still think that that's uh, lower than in the United States and China. So I'm going to go with – 66%. It's 68. Okay. So very close. Nice nice work. But you can see that that um, the percentage of life expectancy – and if you look at the chart, they have all the countries basically in the world mm-hmm. that will report to the UN, sure. all these things. They're all going up. Yeah. Um, as medical technology improves, as we take the creation mandate, as we rearrange creation in order to serve uh, humanity, life expectancy is just going through the roof. Yes. Um, I, I will throw one caveat in here. Go ahead. Um, I, I'm, I, that, that number has to be based on uh, – well, let me put it this way. That number cannot be taking into account abortion in any of these places, in any of these countries. No, I don't think so. So basically it has to be some uh, – a, a woman a, – a female who was born mm-hmm. as counting. So if, if, if a if – a, female child was aborted, that doesn't count. I don't, I don't think that number. counts, I but I, I don't know for sure. Um, in, in any case, that, I didn't mean – but that is a that is a factor. Mm-hmm. That is a piece. But you know, understand it's, – it's more of a – it's always good to understand the data that you're actually looking at so you draw proper conclusions. Sure. No, it. no. That's a, that's a good point. Um, OK. Let's go to a cheerier topic. <laughs> yes, please. Infant mortality. <laughs> OK. Uh, okay, so um, do you want to do the guessing game again, or do you just want me to give you the numbers? I'm happy to to, to I'm happy to, to to play the fool here. Okay, John. okay, <laughs> all right. So infant mortality rate per one thousand live births. Infant mortality rate per one thousand. So for every thousand, how many uh, infants are passing away? 
Okay. Okay. United, 1960 again. Uh, do you have a guess for the United States? Per 1,000. In 1960? Um, goodness. I, I'm totally shooting in the dark here. Um, out of out of a thousand, I will go with um, twenty five. Twenty five point nine. Okay. Yeah. You. <laughs> okay. Uh, China did not start reporting until nineteen sixty nine. Okay. I don't know if that's going to change your guess at all. <laughs> Probably not. Um, I'm 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 going to go with. Um, yeah, 1969. I'm going to go with 62. 83. Okay. So a little higher. All right. Now, now Afghanistan. <sighs> wow. I mean, obviously higher than China at that point. Um, Mike, I don't know. How and they first started I, reporting in '62. If that makes a big deal for you, it does big not. deal to you. Okay, okay. it does not. Um, let's go with um, 137. 232. Wow, that's remarkable. That's that's about 20. That's almost 25 percent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, modern day. Now, uh, I'm sure part of the factors of that are would would be. Much larger families in that culture mm-hmm. than even than the United States or China at that point, and obviously uh, much uh, healthcare access and healthcare technology that was not as uh, robust as Absol- here in the states. Absolutely, and I think that can make some of these things hard to see um, as somebody that lives inside the United States that has had goodness very. Uh, you know, I can I can name maybe one person that had a child die uh, in birth. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you if you were in any of these other countries, goodness, you may have seen, you may know several. Um, and so I think it's, I think we've seen a lot of this in the United States for a long time. I guess is the point I'm making. And the rest yeah. of the world is catching up, in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, okay. Any guesses for the United States currently? Infant infant mortality rates. Um, it's gone down. Yeah, I would I would have guessed that. Um, I'm going to go with um, – this is out of 1,000. Out of 1,000. Uh, I'm going to go with 5. 5.6. OK. You seem to you seem to really have the United States <laughs> pegged. OK. How about, how about China? So – 2019. And they, they were previously – you said 87? Yeah. 1969, they were 83. 83. OK. So I had the U.S. at five. I'm going to say th- that China – And they're clearly not taking into account the one-child law sure, or, sure, or anything sure. like that very yeah. clearly by this chart. Yes. Um, I, they got to be right around the United States. Uh, I'm going to go with four for China. That's 6.8. OK. So yeah. just, just slightly higher. Yeah, a couple. And, and then I think the big mover, Afghanistan – yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure they're still much higher than the United States and China at this point. But um, yeah, let's go with. Um, let's say they've gone to twenty five, forty six. Okay, okay, that's way down. But from two thirty seven to thirty two or something like yeah, that. Yeah, two thirty seven, two thirty two. Yeah, um, remarkable in fifty years. Yes. Um, so uh, we could go on and on and on. Um, about this, uh, yeah. but 
Um, if you want to know more information just about how the world's improving, how these things are going, the trends that are happening, two books uh, that I'd recommend, and I'll mm-hmm. link them in the show notes. Uh, the Rational Optimist uh, is by a, a, a fellow from the UK named Matt Ridley. Um, fantastic accent. Um, <laughs> I, I don't believe him to be a believer, but he, okay. he is part of tracking some of these things. Okay. Uh, and then there's a picture book that I'd recommend um, that I've been meaning to pick up myself. I've heard about it several times. I've looked at it on Amazon, but it's 10 Global Trends Every Smart Person Should Know. Mm-hmm. And they have, I think, 250 words about each global trend and then pictures to go along with it. So I'll link those both in the yeah. show notes. I think this this whole topic is, is interesting in the sense that um, especially the fact that we, we live at a time where uh, – the the tension, we'll put it this way, the the, the tension between sort of uh, the elites and the non-elites, as well as urban versus rural, and mm-hmm. some of these other polarities, these dynamics, um, can can lead to some sort of uh, you know, let's say capitalist versus socialist kind mm-hmm. of ideas, um, lead to a, an almost oversimplified kind of understanding of the world, where you know, you, you can th- you, almost like if you take a, a Wendell Berry approach. You know, if you're not familiar with Wendell Berry, he's written lots of stuff, but more of an advocate of returning back to the land, more rooted in in, in rural life and that sort of thing. And there's there's a lot that's valuable about what he and others say about that. But sometimes that can turn into an almost completely anti-capitalist, anti-technology, anti-kind of uh, mentality that doesn't realize that some of the benefits that you experience, even living in a rural culture or rem- more, more removed from a, an urban setting, mm-hmm. are a byproduct of of innovation and capitalistic ideas of you know people having these ideas, finding financing for them, doing research, and producing structures that make it possible for some of these advances in human progress. Mm-hmm. Matt, Matt Ridley in his book, uh, talks. he throws out a scenario where like people yearn for like father reading the Bible by, by, by uh, uh, the fire, by the fire. Yeah. Um, the daughters are doing housework. Yeah. And sewing sewing. <laughs> and, and different things like that. Mother's cooking a stew and son is, listening to a bird sing outside, and then he goes, well, the reality of that is the father's going to die at 53 from whooping cough or you know whatever he's gotten. Yeah. The son's going to trap that bird and kill it, which I'm not sure is that wrong. <laughs> the daughters only have a couple of outfits to wear, and that's why they're furiously sewing because they're growing. Yes, and may not have much educa- formal education. Right. That's not to say they weren't intelligent, but oftentimes – Daughters and women were not given much access to formal education. Right. And and the, the stew mother's making is made with spoiled meat that she doesn't realize is spoiled because she doesn't have the refrigeration to care for it or any mm-hmm. of these things. You know, and he goes, that cheery look back to like uh, Little House on the Prairie isn't all that cheery. Yeah, yeah. And, and to actually touch uh, – that touches on um, – my one thing I liked last week, I finished up uh, Steinbeck's book, The Grapes of Wrath, which is about the Dust Bowl, about a, about a family mm. from Oklahoma whose land dries up and gets bought out and they are migrants to California. And it's set in that 1920s, 1930s kind of window. And um, the, Steinbeck's great at 
description. And so he, the, the picture he paints of the hardness of life, and obviously, uh, you know, there's lots of family and that sort. Of, but like the, just the difficulties of everyday life compared to what we experience are a helpful kind of correlation to what we're talking about here. Of absolutely like thinking yeah. about just the basics of getting food and supplies, and even just the comforts we experience on a mm-hmm. regular basis. You know, we live with the kind of comfort that kings didn't experience a hundred years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, that, again, Matt Ridley makes the point that nobody nobody lived more lavishly than King Louis, and and he he makes the point that we all do now. Yeah. You know, you know that, that that we've come to a spot in modern. Even society. if you're not wealthy, even if you're just very sort of like working class level income, you have comforts that that the royalty 150 years ago didn't couldn't even. Fathom. Right, right. Well, you could go to a. We can walk down the street to a restaurant and get a get a chef to make us something on short order. Yeah, um, that did not exist for King Louis. Yeah, you, you, you know. Anyway, anyway, we need to we need to press on. Um, under undergirding all this, I think for for you and I uh, at least, and there are certainly this is there are certainly advocates outside of religion mm-hmm. for human progress, uh, but um, the the gospel moving forward uh, and the gospel yeah. changing hearts and and and. Those sorts of things are also a, a big part of uh, that creation mandate uh, that we talked about from Genesis 1. And even just the scope of the advance of the gospel, the number of people who have for the first time been able to hear the gospel through missionary efforts that have happened in the last 100 years is nothing short of miraculous mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, believers using these advances in technology. Think about transportation. Think about communication. All of that used to be able to advance the gospel into very difficult parts of the world to reach, and um, you know we will see brothers and sisters worshiping around the throne in as a result of their uh, of God sending these people out and using mm-hmm. the tools of human progress. Yes, yes, and um, another one to mention is medical. Yes, uh, there's a um, oh I'm blanking on his name, but they called him the black bearded barbarian uh, who came to Taiwan. He was a Canadian Presbyterian and was a dentist and, a, and I believe a full doctor and just started walking around to the villages ripping out people's rotten teeth and preaching the gospel. And uh, to that day, a good portion of that island is Christian in, in Taiwan. Yeah, lots of good stuff there. We'll have the links in the show notes. Uh, it's, uh, I think, time for our athlete. Are we ready? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, episode 57 – and we actually had more options than I expected when I put the list together. So, yeah, um, some recognizable names. Yeah, on there. Francisco Rodriguez was a pitcher from 2002 to 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Jackson, a linebacker for the Broncos from 73 to 86, but probably more well known now as uh, uh, a commentator on Sports uh, Center, in particular NFL. NFL prime, prime NFL time? prime time. Yep. Along with uh, Chris Berman. Yeah, he's been Chris Berman's buddy for years. Yeah. Uh, Dwight Stevenson was a center for the Dolphins in the 80s uh, from 1980 to 1987. Uh, Clay Matthews, a linebacker. Not Clay Matthews. I was about to say senior, right? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, I think he might be – this might be Clay Matthews Jr. And then Clay Matthews, the long-flowing blonde locks linebacker Mm -hmm. played with the – The third? I think he's the third. In any case, Clay Matthews, linebacker for the Browns from 1978 to 1996, playing linebacker for 18 years. Wow. That's remarkable. 
his body put up with a lot. Yeah, if he can even walk today, it's it's practically a a miracle of modern medicine. Mm -hmm. And then um, Johan Santana, a pitcher from 2000 to 2012, and he uh, had a few years with your beloved New York Mets. Yeah, I believe the Twins also. Yeah, and he threw a no-hitter with the Mets. he was uh, he was quite good for a few years. Also, a lot of injured years with the Mets think, as well. Didn't he win a Cy Young or two maybe in there somewhere? I think he won a Cy Young with the Twins. I don't think he ever okay. won one with the Mets. Gotcha. Uh, and then in terms of Ohio State, Mike Kudla was a defensive end from 2002 to 2005. That's played a good on their, name, Kudla. Yeah, on their national championship team there. So uh, who, who do you like out of this list? Well, I, I have seen Johan Santana pitch in person. Okay. I am partial to Johan. He was a lefty, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, had a great changeup. Um, actually taught Jacob deGrom his changeup. Um, okay. That's worked so, out well. Yeah, that's worked out real well. Um, but I think I'd prefer somebody else on this list. I think I'd prefer Tom Jackson. Okay. Uh, I just kind of grew up watching Tom Jackson on NFL primetime. Uh, and I was a big fan of Tom Jackson. All right. Yeah, he is actually an Ohio guy, grew up in the Cleveland area. And dreamed of playing for Ohio State, but was a little small for uh, Ohio State's preferences. And so they did not really recruit him much. Ended up going on to the University of Louisville mm-hmm. and um, had a you know a, a productive career in the NFL with the Broncos. But you're right. I think he's more well-known these days for his um, – uh, role on NFL primetime with Chris Berman and just his um, interaction with him. So I ran into him in the Cincinnati airport one time. <laughs> and I couldn't, I was, it was right after the Jets won on a Monday night football with Mark Sanchez. Okay. And I'm walking behind him in the Cincinnati airport and he is just stopping at every shoe shine guy telling him, like, I picked the Jets. I told you they were going to do it because of these reasons. And I just sort of like, Let's stop and tie my shoe. Yeah. And then when he started moving, I started moving. And he'd go to the next shoe shine guy and talk to him about the game. You know, and it was clear that he knew these guys from yeah. flying in and out of this airport all the time. He strikes me as a guy that would stop and get a shoe shined. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with uh we'll go with Tom Jackson then. So uh that brings us to our one thing we liked. All right, my one thing. Um I was loving following the GameStop news story last week. Do you want to try to give any remote explanation of what that is? Like, I, I'm sure people have heard of it. Sure, but so um, so basically, if you know GameStop, it's a brick and mortar video game store that never transitioned online very much and yeah. was not doing well. Yeah. So all I think of we the, still have one locally. Though. I think so. Um, <laughs> yeah. They, somehow they continue to exist. Yeah. Like like rats, they just continue to live on. Wow. Um, but all these hedge funds got hedge fund guys were buying shorts against it, basically betting against it. Well, this group on Reddit decided, forget those hedge fund guys. We're, we're, we're going to drive up the price. And so they got everybody and their mom to buy GameStop and it drove the price through the roof. Uh, and this caused th- all these stockbrokers on Wall Street to lose just a ton of money. Yeah. Um, and I had people coming into my office just going like, not finance majors, biblical studies majors. You following GameStop? You seeing what's <laughs> happening out there? Yeah. And and it was just a fun week of conversation about that. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed GameStop this last week. Okay. All right. Um, my one thing is 
scribd. Scribd. Yeah, S-C-R-I-B-D. This is a service. It's sort of like a Netflix for uh, books, audiobooks, magazines, hmm. um, all, all sorts of things that you pay a monthly fee and you get essentially unlimited access to their library of, of ebooks, of audiobooks, and, uh, and, and magazines. Interesting. And so uh, my wife and I started a f- – uh, you can get a free 30-day trial to start to see if you like it. And then um, if you want to keep going, it's like uh, – I think it's like $9.99 for uh, a month. So uh, if you're if you're someone who especially reads a lot or um, or accesses audiobooks, they have a, a a pretty large collection of that, and so it's 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 well worth considering. And just to give some sort of context, I I was blown away when I did a search and found several of my own books on there, not in audio form, but in like digital form, like asking the right questions. Mm. My Jeremiah Bible study that I did. She must and shall go free. That one's not on there surprisingly. <laughs> um, but uh, Rebels and Exiles. Really? Servant of the Lord and his servant people. Already? Yeah, already. Wow. On there. So that's part of the subscription. So if you subscribe to this, you can download it you know, and read it in their reader app. Uh, for for as are you part getting of any kickbacks from them or anything? <laughs> I hope so. Somewhere, wow. I don't know how that works. I'll have to check the fine print of my contracts. Yeah. So that's my one thing I like this week, Very and nice. I, I'm going to kind of cheat. I'm going to have a second thing. Oh boy! Today, as we record, is my wife's birthday, so I wanted to say a special happy birthday to her on February 1st. So this All episode right. releases February 2nd, but today's her birthday. Today is her birthday. Happy birthday, so, Kate! Yes, a shout out to to my beloved wife. Who listens and will hear this? Um, I think she might be uh, the first listener, the first listener yeah. of virtually <laughs> every episode. So uh, yeah, shout out to her. But uh, so we've talked about uh, Super Bowl, NFL, hot takes, uh, hot stove stuff, the creation mandate, human progress, um, infant mortality rates. And we've talked about Tom Jackson. We've talked about stock market analysis hot takes from john sloat we've talked about scribd and we've talked about my wife's birthday so by definition i think we're we've done it all yeah i think we're already called mission accomplished and so until next time the lord bless y'all real good later later